Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. So it is party time. Hello, Tower Partners. We're actually celebrating our 19th anniversary of weekly broadcasting here at Star Style. Be the star you are. December 8th is actually the day. So um, we are going to be celebrating kind of all month long. So we're very happy that you are here with us. The show is brought to you under the auspices of Be The Star You Are charity. And we're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. I am your host, Cynthia Bryan. And I love having positive, meaningful, supportive conversations with you. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are and Through the end of the year, PayPal will add 1% to any donation made to benefit Be The Star You Are through PayPal's holiday campaign donate page. And so you can just go to bethestarur.org and click on donate and it'll take you to the PayPal fundraiser. It doesn't cost you anything more and PayPal is going to add an extra percent. So that's kind of exciting. This is from Ziggy. I have a rabbit's foot, a four-leaf clover, and a lucky charm. Now, the only problem is none of them become effective until I do. How true that is, right? We can believe in all the magic and the mystery, and especially this time of year as we start to celebrate the holidays and we feel all this magical things happening. We do have to remember that before anything can take hold, before we can have progress in life, we have to decide that that's what we want for ourselves. So, It is really be the star you are. Be the person that you were born to be. In today's show, we are going to do a journey, an adventure through Cambodia and Vietnam and the Mekong Delta. I was just there in this uh, incredible area of Southeast Asia, a place that I have not been um, ever before. I had been to Thailand and I'd been to Malaysia, but I'd never been to Vietnam and Cambodia. And it was truly extraordinary because they are developing countries. I didn't have internet or phone service most of the time. And at first that's really disconcerting. 
And then all of a sudden you start thinking, wow, okay. And you get into that routine of just going with the flow. And one of the things that I especially loved with the Cambodian people is how they live for today. So we are going to just give a kind of synopsis of what some of the experiences that I had while I was in Cambodia and in um, and in Vietnam. Well, I started off uh, by flying. I used miles to get there, and I started off by flying on Emirates. So ended up going to South um, to Saudi Arabia first, which seems to be a little out of the way. But you know what? When you're going to use miles to get to where you want to go. You kind of go where the airline takes you. And I was so excited that I was going to be able to fly on Emirates because I had just heard the most remarkable things about the service and the food and the comfort and all of this. And I had been working very, very hard before I left to get all the articles written. I had two books that I was finishing up and, um, you know, was doing all the radio shows and the production for upcoming shows, etc. And the crazy thing is, is by the time that I got on the plane, all excited to experience all this good stuff that was going to happen, is um, after one glass of Vuve Clicquot, which is the champagne that they served, which was pretty wonderful, I fell asleep. <laughs> and I pretty much slept most of the way to go, you know, going there. So I, but I will tell you, it was, um, it was a great flight. So I really appreciated it. And then from there, I flew on to Hanoi. Now, Hanoi, you land at um, uh, Hanoi's Noi Bai International Airport. And what's very interesting about Hanoi is that you'll often read about how many people consider it one of the most beautiful cities in Asia. Now, I did not find that to be true at all. I found Hanoi to be really dirty. I thought that the people were not as friendly as later on in the trip that uh, I experienced. Uh, uh, And, you know, the traffic was just horrendous. They say there's something like 8 million people and 5 million motorbikes. So you can just imagine that the roadways are jammed. Now, interestingly enough, there aren't any accidents. Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I never saw one. And to cross the street, what you're told is you just keep going. You don't stop. You, you Once you start, you just keep going across. And that is really frightening because you have all these motorbikes and they're just zooming around you. So you can't stop because you probably would... Um, would be, you know, would get hit. Um, but what's interesting is if you saw Ken Burns' uh, documentary, which if you haven't, I highly recommend that you watch anything that Ken Burns produces. He did a documentary, um, what was called The Vietnam Wars. And it was such a wonderful documentary because it really was very objective. It gave um, all sides of the story. It didn't take sides. It didn't try to tell you who was right or who was wrong. It didn't make any judgments. It just presented people's experiences, and um, both from the North and from the South. So 
if, if you didn't see it, just a little history lesson is the French had invaded uh, Vietnam back in the early 1800s. And the purpose was that there was coal in the mines and they wanted to have a stronghold in uh, Southeast Asia. Soon the French controlled a, what we know today as Asia, I mean, as uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and so it was called um, French Indochina. Now, the Vietnamese always wanted to be free, and the sad thing is, is, and this is the same thing with all imperialism and all colonialism, how sad it is that one culture thinks that it is better than another culture and decides to bring its own moors and food and architecture and religion and all that, all of those things, because the country was essentially Buddhist. And of course, then they didn't allow, well, allow it to be, allow it to be Buddhist, the same with, um, the same with Cambodia. And so it was many wars were there until about 1954, when the French pulled out and America went in supposedly only with advisors, but they, they don't call it the Vietnam War over there. They call it the American War. And strangely enough, the Vietnamese really, really like us today. And, and it doesn't really matter what side they were on. I met so many interesting people, some of whom, because they were all Vietnamese, they would have family who possibly lived in the South and were actually fighting in the South Vietnamese um, armies for the Americans. And then there would be family members who were in, in the North, and they would be fighting against their brothers and their sisters. And there were many, many women that were involved in this. And so it was very interesting. It was similar to our um, American Civil War, I found, where both the North and South you know, it's sort of brother, brother to brother. But so the North Vietnam, then uh, after 1975, when the Americans departed, and uh, the communists came in and just took rule over it. For, for quite a while, it was just a it was very impoverished, because what the government did is they said everything belongs to the uh, party and so all your farms, all your stores, everything belongs to the general population and then we'll feed you, we'll give you what you need. They wanted to make it, you know, an egalitarian society. But as we know, it really doesn't work that way because what happens is there's going to be lazy people. So there's going to be some people who want to work hard and some people who don't. And then eventually nobody wants to work hard if you're, everybody gets the same thing. So they've changed it. So you would just never know that you're in um, a country that believes with communism as their ruling party, that it believes in this whole egalitarian society because there's definitely capitalism there. But people in the North seem much more serene than people in the South. Now, Ho Chi Minh City, which used to be Saigon, that city I found to be really, really beautiful with lots of tree-lined streets and graceful architecture and um, and just really friendly people and, you know, wonderful little restaurants and all of those things. But 
more than the cities, I am a village person. And what exploring the out the outside lands is what was the most important to me. When I was in Cambodia, I was able to go to village schools and help uh, teach English and read to the children. And it was really uh, kind of in, amazing even to get there because there had been like a monsoon. It had been really raining. I'd never seen rain so, so hard. And so everything was flooded. Yet... The schools, the houses are on stilts, and even though lots of it was flooded, you would take tree branches and walk across a a tree branch to get to wherever it was you were going, and, you know, you're splashing through mud puddles, and then once we were there, the kids were so grateful to have us. They had been practicing their English, and they had a few words to say. Uh, and it was very cute because they would, you know, they would say what their name was and then they would say whether they were a boy or a girl. And sometimes they got that mixed up. <laughs> and um, but it was obvious that they really wanted to communicate uh, with you. And I had brought lots of different stickers and kind of fun things to give the kids. And it was, you know, just to see how grateful they were for just the simplest things, for pencils and pens and paper and and notepads and all of that. It was, um, these kids were really amazing. And in the houses in the villages, they really, uh, there'll be several generations living in one house. So there could be great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and children. Now, a sad thing as many people may remember if you studied history, was from 1975 to 1979, there was a terrible, terrible genocide in Cambodia. It was the time of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. And the impetus for the Khmer Rouge is Pol Pot had actually studied uh, Hitler, and he wanted to have a pure race that would be 100% Khmer, which meant they had to be, he wanted people to be 100% Cambodian and not have any Vietnamese, no Chinese, Thai, French, American, have no other ethnicity in them. He also wanted everybody to be farmers. So he started with a mass genocide of killing. And how anybody can do this, it just amazes me. And, of course, it became a regime. So it's not just one person. It's like it was multiple people who were who were um, extricating all the different people. But he wanted to kill anybody that was in the government, all the doctors, lawyers, teachers, intellectuals, artists, dancers, um, musicians, actors, Basically, anyone who did not work the farms. And his troops went into Phnom Penh, which was the capital, and in three days evacuated two million people and put them on a death march, basically. Many people were shot along the way. Uh, They were taken to camps. Uh, Many died of uh, of um, malnutrition or no food or no water. And of course, you know, if you were a professional of any kind, it, you probably didn't know how to be a farmer. And some of them would just look at their hands 
And if they didn't have, you know, rough farmer hands, they would be shot. And uh, one of the sad things was the indoctrination of the children is the young babies, maybe up till four years old, they would just kill. And then uh, many of the older people, they would just kill. And this is what it was called, the killing fields. Uh, but some of the children that would be like 5 to 12 years old, they'd put them in these schools for indoctrination and teach them that their families weren't their families, that now Angor, which is the company, or Angor would be the, was the, the Khmer Rouge, that they were the family and they would take care of them and taught these kids to go and kill their families. And if the kids didn't kill their families and their parents, then those kids would be killed. And I visited the killing fields, which was incredibly heartbreaking and sad um, because they have a monument there with over 8,000 skulls in it just it's like several stories high just filled with skulls of people that were killed and there's and you walk along these fields and you still see bones coming out you you know it's it's very very sad i'm glad that that they have recognized this horrible travesty that was done to the cambodian people by cambodian people and um, have made this a, a monument so that you can feel when you go there that you can offer a little bit of sacredness and um, prayers. What was interesting to me, though, in going to the killing fields were the butterflies. These fields, I, had, I didn't see butterflies anywhere else on my trip except for in the killing fields. And in the killing fields, there were thousands and thousands of butterflies. And it, that alone made me happy, thinking that the souls of these innocent people were like the butterflies and were metamorphosing into making something that was more happiness for us today. Well, Nam Pen today is it's on the rebound. Skyscrapers, the very first skyscraper, was put in Phnom Penh in Cambodia only seven years ago. And now within seven years, there are 400 of them. And when you come along the Mekong River and you are coming in to Phnom Penh, it's, uh, when you first look, if you come at nighttime, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like Las Vegas at nighttime because they have it so lit up. And they have all these sparkling lights everywhere. And during the day, it's quite different. But, you know, we are able to visit the king's palace and and um, who he's the king is very revered there. But the first king actually sold his people out during this whole Khmer Rouge time. So there's a lot more I'm going to talk about. The I think some of the best thing, of course, are the people that you meet and the how friendly they were, and how they live in the moment. The one thing I learned from the Cambodians was that there was not a family, or there is not a family alive today in Cambodia who was not affected by the genocide of the Khmer Rouge. And of that, the population is very, very young. 65% of the population are under 20 and something like 85% are of 
are 40 or less. So the older generation were were uh, were killed. And we'll talk about the Hanoi Hilton and John McCain and how he became a prisoner when we come back from break. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And we are on a journey through Cambodia and Vietnam, and we're going to take a river cruise down the Mekong. And we'll discuss that when I come back from break. Don't go away. Be right back. The star you are, be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Well, we are on a journey to Cambodia and Vietnam today, and it's also a celebration of our 19th anniversary. Well, if you uh, visit Vietnam, you will find everywhere you go that Ho Chi Minh, who is the founder of modern Vietnam, is an absolute hero. And in Hanoi, there is an entire park where you can visit his residence. There's a museum devoted to his life. There's the famous One Pillar Pagoda, which was uh, built and rebuilt a couple of times since it was first built in 1049. Then there's also the Temple of Literature. I found this very interesting. It was originally built as a Confucian temple in 1070, and then six years later, on the same grounds, it became Vietnam's first university, which was founded to educate members of the nobility. 400 years later, the university opened its doors to gifted students uh, from throughout the land, and it taught them the principles of Confucianism for another 300 years. Today, it's just a very tranquil place with beautiful gardens and pavilions 
and it has different art shows. And I, what I find so interesting with all the different Buddhas that, um, that they have in different temples, there's always an altar to them. And at the altar, there'll be incense and flowers and candles and fruit and vegetables, but usually a couple of cans of beer and probably a Coca-Cola or something like that, too. And I found that to be rather interesting that um, Buddha would like to, ha- to have a beer or to have a Coca-Cola. Now, part of uh, Vietnam's history that most people know about are the dank cells at the notorious Hanoi Hilton. It's whole low. It's a French colonial era prison. And uh, it was known to the American pilots who were held there as prisoners of war during the Vietnam War. Probably the most famous one, at least the one that was talked about the most while I was there, was John McCain. And I found it very interesting to watch the um, the videos where they're definitely propaganda videos um, that were made by the communist government during that time, showing the different prisoners and talking about how well they were treated and how much they enjoyed it there. And then when you go through this prison, you will you would know that it is definitely not a place of enjoyment. There's no light. Um, there's it, it was really really dank and cold, and people they had they were chained to the ground. It, it was pretty awful. But you can at least go through it, and you just wonder how how you can really weather being a prisoner of war. So it really gives the whole um, the whole idea of being a soldier a whole nother element of respect that really the action is really, really a a tough one. Something that's very popular there in Vietnam are these water puppets. And you can take in a traditional water puppet show. It's a thousand year old musical performance and it tells tales from the Northern Vietnam's rural villages and it actually happens in a pool of water, that which stands in for the rainy season, the rice paddies. And then there are these really beautiful uh, handcrafted puppets. They seem to float on water. And, and of course, if you're in the front row, you could get wet. But then on the side, there are musicians that are working on and um, utilizing traditional instruments and then there are people who are singing in their traditional Vietnamese voices but these puppets they're not hand puppets they're actually you are on wooden paddles so it is really amazing if you were to go there it would be very interesting I think to see it because it's how they do it is there were about eight um, professionals both men and women that are behind a curtain that are doing these puppets and they all are dancing and walking and diving and swimming and doing all these things in the water. Now the food in Vietnam and Cambodia, in my opinion, is really fabulous. Lots and lots of fresh fruits um, and vegetables and things that you've probably never had, you know, things like dragon fruit which was really good it's a white it's a it's a red fruit but when you slice into it it's white with black 
polka dots. And um, every day when you're there, there's always there's it's always something tropical, you know, mangoes and guavas and papayas and and the dragon fruit and um, many other different kinds of fruit. That but it's all very 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 uh, good. Now you can't drink the water. You really have to have bottled water all the time because the water there is, even though if it's purified, the rivers are still contaminated. So people use, many, most people, unless you live in the city, do not have a bathroom as we know it. So what they have is when, like, we were in the villages, and I got to visit many village homes, and their homes are just a very simple structure made out of bamboo with slats, bamboo slats so that the air comes up. It's very hot and humid. I was drinking so much water, and I've never perspired so much in my entire life. Um, but so they're, it's, they're built above ground so that the, you and they have nets at nighttime that you would go in. But they sleep on the floor on these mats that they hand make from banana leaves or palm leaves. And then they put them away during the day so that the kids have the little kids have a place to play. Uh, there's no running water. There's uh, some only in some places was there electricity. There are the kitchens you burn over an open fire. Everything is recycled. There's not a piece of wood or leaf that's wasted. When they eat an animal or eat a vegetable, every single thing is utilized. Most of the villagers, they might have a cow and a few chickens that live under their house. Uh, They have banana plantations or banana fields. And the banana fields are where their bathroom is. And what that means is they go, when they need to use the uh, toilet, they go out into the banana field. Now, the guide I was with said that his family and most of the families, they would instruct him to take a hose with them that would be hooked to their uh, a well. And the reason for that was so that, if a cobra snake <laughs> came along while you were doing your business. I can't even imagine that. But the cobra snakes there get to be 20, 25 feet long. Now, one of the things, speaking of cobra snakes, is rice is a, obviously a very big commodity in both Cambodia and in Vietnam. And they eat um Everybody eats rice or rice noodles. Rice is, you know, is a major um, part of their food chain. And I visited a village where they've been making the rice noodles the exact same for thousands of years. And they make these rice noodles for the different big cities. And you would really just be amazed how it can continue on because they take the rice, they grind it on a on a, um, a stone grinder until it gets down to like a, a flour. They pound it with this wooden and this other stone thing. They use some of the well water to make it into a dough. And then there are people that pull it apart and they make it into rice noodles. 
and they're delicious rice noodles. But if you saw it, again, it's just a very simple village. The kids are running around. The chickens are running around. The geese are running around. Everybody is barefoot, and there's no mechanics going on at all. And again, no electricity, and the water is coming from their well. So one of the things that they um, I tried, because I'm always I'm always up to try everything, was Cobra white rice wine. Yes, Cobra rice wine, and it is as bad as it sounds. So evidently, the Cobra is like, and they have them in these huge jars, and they'll have the snake in the jar with the rice, and they ferment it, and it's not poisonous after, I don't know how long, six months or eight months. But it tastes absolutely horrible to me. But for many people, it's considered uh, a delicacy. And they, the venom from the cobra is actually used in different kinds of creams to take away pain. And so they use everything. They have figured out ways to use everything. Now, many of you have probably heard of Seam Reap. And Angor Wat. Now, Angor Wat is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it is the ancient temples, like you think about in Indiana Jones. In fact, Laura Croft was filmed at um, some of these temples, not actually at Angor Wat, but one of the Angor, uh, I think it was Angor Tom or Toprom, or it might have been Bayon. There's uh, many different gates of Angor. It, it's absolutely remarkable to think that these were built back in the 10th century and the carvings that are on the walls are still just vibrant and telling the story of Cambodia. And there's elephants and warriors and they have the rice patties and then there's the kings and the queens and all their their helpers. Now, one of the things that they've stopped doing is people used to just go up and do rubbings on there. And I do remember years ago being in Thailand and doing temple rubbings. So they're not allowing people to do the temple rubbings anymore. But other than that, you can go anywhere in Angor Wat. You can go anywhere in Angor Tom. And you can go and visit these incredible, incredible, breathtaking landmarks without having to stay on a path. I can't imagine that's going to last too much longer because I I think the amount of people that visit are going to, you know, cause damage. And so they're going to have to highlight a route or they're going to have to do something in the future to, um, to stop all the tourists from touching everything. But while I was there, we were really fortunate to be able to witness these sites much as they were thousand years ago. And they've only recently been found in the jungle and more are being found because of technology. Because of technology, they can now do these um, sightings from, from the air of where there are temples. And 
it's so interesting to see how quickly the jungle just takes over and the tree trunks just come down and the tree trunks have just uh, gone right into the stone and down into to the uh, what would be called basements, etc. So it's but it's pretty fascinating to visit all these. Now because they're all Buddhist temples, we have to show respect when we visit them. And part of the respect is you have to have your shoulders covered, and some of them are Hindu as well. Some of them, these complexes, are a combination of Hindu and Buddhist monuments. And, of course, they were lost to the world for many years, just hidden by the dense jungle vines. So by showing respect, you are required to cover your knees. So that means even if you're wearing shorts, they have to be below the knees. And you cannot wear, like, sleeveless tops or anything. Well, the heat is so incredible (laughs) and the humidity that you just feel almost like you're suffocating. But the positive side is the humidity keeps your skin awfully moist. (laughs) And so you don't see people with uh, with wrinkles very much. It seems like people are ageless there. Now, Anger Tom was founded in the 12th century by King Jayavarman VII, and his people's previous capital had been overrun by the Shams. But you can still see the defensive measures that surrounded the city. In fact, we actually enter through one. We cross over a moat, and then you pass between the stone figurines that line the lane that lead to this very intricately decorated south gate um, in around the wall in Anchor Tom. And then you get to see the king's palace, which is made of wood. It's long since vanished, but the ruins that remains, um, including a, a pyramidal uh, t- temple, a bayon, it has enormous carved heads that have become an iconic symbol of Angkor archaeological area. And then you can also visit the temples of Bante, Saray and Bante Samra. And, and then we go to the jungle temple of Tapram. And unlike the other Anger temples, which have been excavated and restored, Tapram has been uh, left almost as it was found. So there are these magic, m- massive trees that just grow out of stone walls and roofs, and they have these tentacle like roots. And they pour over the doorways and they stretch across the courtyard. And it was, you know, this is a man-made wonder that has now been reclaimed by the jungle because over the course of centuries, it was um, it, it was evacuated and left. And now you kind of get to tap into your inner Indiana Jones or Laura Croft to explore it. And then from Tefram, you can go to the Temple of Takeo, which the legend has it that the construction on Takeo was suspended because the temple was struck by lightning, and that would be considered a bad omen. The number nine is really important to them there. And so you'll find that what, however many figures they have, when you add up the numbers, everything will in, end up being nine. 
At these temples, there were some Aspara dancers as well. Now, the Aspara, it's a traditional Keimer dance, and it tells the stories and conveys messages, and they use beautiful, ornate costumes, very graceful uh, movements, but they have very, very strict facial expressions and very distinctive hand and foot positions. Um, and on those, the anger temples, uh, there are many figures that are Aspora figures. So it testifies to the dance form and its long and esteemed history. So it's a very, very uh, fascinating thing. Then when you are going down the Mekong River, first of all, it's brown. There's nothing, the river itself is not a pretty river. It is completely brown and muddy. And that's because of all the sediment in it. But I think what's so shocking is, especially if you go at nighttime and you see all these things flying by, I mean, sailing by, you don't know what it is until the daytime. And when you see them, it is water hyacinths. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of water hyacinths that literally are filling the river. Remarkably, they don't clog the river. So the boats can continue going down the Mekong. And the Mekong is just a life source for Cambodia and Vietnam. There are floating markets everywhere where people, their houseboats, what we think of as a houseboat and they think of a houseboat, are completely different. You, there are people in sampans and people just living on these boats. And one of the funny thing would be is that you will see an antenna on the top of a boat, which means it probably has television. How they get the electricity, I am not sure. But uh, they have uh, fish hatcheries where they are raising many of the fish. Tilapia seems to be a, a big fish that is that is eaten there. And then uh, different the um, the farms. A lot of, of course, the rice patties, but then bananas and mangoes and all the different kinds of fruits and. Every villager would raise enough fruits and vegetables, you know, in, including like lemongrass to season and mints and basil for their own for their own food. And um, for me, I just found it very, very interesting to see how the people lived and then how optimistic they are, especially after that horrible horrible um, time of genocide of uh, when the Khmer Rouge were there. There's a genocide museum, which was known as S21. It was a former high school on the outskirts of Phnom Penh. And this is where guards and staff, they were mostly adolescent males, you know, 14, 15 to 19. And remember I was saying to you, they killed the younger kids, but then they brainwashed these. And they were brutal, really brutal. But I actually got to meet a, um, a, a man who survived out of, I believe it was six or 8,000 people who were in this prison. During those years, only seven survived, and 
two of them are alive today and they were both there when I visited. They've both written books and I got to meet them. They don't speak any English and I don't speak Cambodian. Uh, but uh, I did buy their book to find out how what their story was. And it is really, um, it, their stories were an amazing story. One was an artist and the only reason he survived is that Pol Pot wanted to be drawn in a way that would make him look younger. So since he he needed to be drawn in a way that could make him look younger, instead of killing this artist, even though he had tortured him terribly, is he brought him in to paint him. And the other one knew how to fix a typewriter. And because he could fix a typewriter, uh, the, he was saved because they needed a way to get out their propaganda. And these two men actually escaped uh, when... Vietnam came in to fight off the Khmer Rouge because they probably would have been killed too because they were just killing all the remainder of the prisoners. In fact, there are 13 graves that are in the high school right there or the prison S21 that are 13 of the people who were shot as the as the guards were leaving. So such a time of of mourning and such a time to be really grateful that we haven't lived through something like this because people who are, you know, from 40 on up lived through this time period. And if they survived, they were very, very fortunate. Well, when we come back from break, we will continue our, our journey. But uh, for now, just pay attention. Stay with me. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we're coming to you live on the Voice America Network, and my name is Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. If you want to be safe and be quick with some home and business emergency repairs, here are 10 things that you really need to have on standby. Fire extinguishers. Now, by the time a firefighter arrives, it's too late to save things. So fire extinguishers can prevent fires from spreading, and it saves property and even lives. So put one in your office, in the kitchen, in the garage, and you should have one on every floor. You need lights with some fresh batteries. You keep flashlights and lanterns in every room. Tarps. Severe weather can damage windows and roofs, and but tarps will stop the rain and debris from entering. Clear plastic sheeting. It's not as strong as tarps, but it's good for furniture and for over windows. If you have a flood, it's good to have some clear plastic sheeting. Duct tape. Now that is great for everything from cracked glass to cracked pipes or cracked suitcases. So keep it with you. Nails and screws. You know, it's good to have a jar of uh, different sizes just in case. Plumbing fittings. Well, this is probably more for your house than for your business, but you might want to ask your plumber what fittings you would need to close a damaged pipe and keep that on hand. And spare pipes for appliances. 
this would be something to ask your appliance repair service, which parts would be useful to have on hand. As far as tools goes, you'll always want an adjustable wrench, a hammer, screwdriver, a tape measure, and possibly a hand drill. And of course, extension cords, different sizes to reach areas where power could be cut off. Extension cords always come in handy. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. This is Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Well, we are back and we're talking about Vietnam and Cambodia and just talking about the area. I get hungry because the Vietnamese food is so distinctive and unforgettable. The cuisine relies on a balance of salty, sweet, sour, hot flavors, and it's achieved through a use of um, a fermented fish sauce, cane sugar, the juice of the calamansi citrus fruit, the tamarind, and chili peppers. But the dishes um, aren't too spicy because they use a lot of fresh herbs and a lot of lemongrass. And they have a national dish, which I love, and they serve it for breakfast. It's called pho. It's a noodle soup eaten at any time of the day, but mostly at breakfast. And it's something that we don't eat here at breakfast if you go to a pho store. And that's spelled P-H-O. I couldn't pronounce any of the words. It's a basic bowl consists of either beef or chicken broth flavored with ginger and coriander. And then you add broad flat rice noodles, uh, spring onions, and then slices of chicken, pork, beef. And uh, you can also add, you know, shrimp or seafood. Now, Vietnamese cooks, they use almost all parts of an animal for food, including the meat, the bone, the internal organs, and the skin, because nothing is left unused. And as I said earlier, rice is the key and the most important dish. The Vietnamese cuisine depends heavily on rice grown in water patties throughout the country. And um, their dishes vary from really simple everyday meals to very complex dishes, that were designed for kings. And so 
don't be afraid to experiment if you go out to a Vietnamese restaurant. Before I continue, I just wanted to announce that my new book, Growing, is now available. You can find it at CynthiaBryan.com. It'll make a great gift for Christmas. So go to CynthiaBryan.com online store and you can find uh, the book, Growing. Now, Vietnam is officially known as the Socialist Republic of Vietnam and is the world's 13th most populous country. Now, since the reunification, which happened in 1976, Hanoi is the uh, capital. And politically, it is a single-party system ruled by the Communist Party of Vietnam. The 2009 census recorded a population of 85.8 million Um, 86% of whom are actually Viet or Kin, which is the ethnic group. And it's also home to 54 ethnic minorities. So that to me is a very, uh, is kind of a fascinating uh, fact. And everybody seems to get along actually quite well. Now, um, in via Saigon, most people call it Saigon, but it's really called Ho Chi Minh City, named after their hero Ho Chi Minh now. There's a beautiful central post office that was built by Gustav Eiffel of Eiffel Tower fame in the late 19th century. And right next to it is the Notre Dame Cathedral, which is based on the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Um, I also visited the Reunification Palace, and that was once a symbol of the South Vietnamese government. But on April 30th, 1975, the communist tanks rolled into Saigon. They headed towards the building. They crashed through the gates, and that signaled the end of the Vietnam War. And unlike what we all thought in the in films, where Vietnam was evacuated from the top of the American embassy, it was actually the top of the CIA uh, building. So you can see that when you are there as well. Now there are um, there are, you have to be careful when you're there because there are pickpockets on the streets. And the funny thing about the pickpockets and uh, there are mostly young men, they're on motorbikes and they're known to grab your loose purse or your camera or something as they shoot by on their motorbike. And so, you know, it's a really safe city as far as uh, other crimes, but for pickpocketing and taking your, um, your wallets and things, you do have to be careful. One of the most fascinating things was the tunnels the underground tunnels that would go for 250 miles outside of Saigon that were built by the Viet Cong um, started in the 50s when the French were there. And they used them, obviously, throughout the um, the 70s when the Americans were there. And they're called the Chuchi Tunnels. And it, it, unbelievable. There were people living there for 20 years. Some of them go down 30 feet. And the people were so tiny that you really, I mean, they have places you could go down into them and go through the tunnel. And you can hardly fit. It's really claustrophobic. But people live there. And then you can also visit all the different uh, warfare that they had with, you know, all these traps that they had for the different soldiers, you know, the tall bamboo poles, um, 
the the spears, all kinds of things, and really rather kind of sad. There's also the Temple of the Martyr Memorial, which shows the gratitude to the communist heroes who sacrificed themselves to the cause of national liberation. Um, there's also a basement that displays the persistent and unconquerable people of Saigon, different things there. The one thing that I found a little bit tough to uh, that I didn't really like were the smells in the markets because in the marketplaces, which go on and on, it seems forever, they sell everything from live chickens to frogs to, uh, you know, ducks, everything and the fish and everything is like just right there. And it's so hot. And uh, then they have a lot of cuts of meat and I asked somebody, what happens at the end of the day? And they said that everything is sold out by the end of the day because nothing is on ice. So I can't imagine that it would still be good to eat by the end of the day. However, the vegetables and the fruit looked really, really uh, beautiful. So if you have a, a chance to go to Southeast Asia, do go to Cambodia and uh, Vietnam and do go into the villages and see if you can, can have the opportunity to work with any of the children. And also, I've uh, visited Buddhist temples and had a blessing from Buddhist monks. And it was right after the California fires in uh, Napa Valley. And so it felt really good. I was wearing a shirt that said California Strong. And now we're experiencing more fires in California. So hopefully that blessing will correspond to all of of uh, California. So be strong out there. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for being great listeners. Make sure you're tuned in every week here from 4 to 5 p.m. on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Check out bethestaryouare.org to make a donation to the charity with PayPal giving 1% more, which is very, very helpful and no extra charge to you. Until we celebrate next week, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan, celebrating 19 years on the air, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.